Good morning. I'm excited to be with you all from this perspective this morning, and Pastor Tom is actually speaking to a group of people in Florida, and so if you followed along with this picture, as you know that he's been having a pretty rough time with beautiful sunsets and the ocean, and so he's serving Jesus in a difficult place, and and, uh, I am so excited to be with you. Uh, Welcome this morning. Welcome if you're following along with us in another venue, uh, the chapel, Pleasant View, following along online. We are excited to continue the War Effort series. Uh, This War Effort series is leading up to Easter, and it's really this discussion of uh, what are we as a group of people going to decide to do with Jesus? Um, Jesus claimed to be a lot of things. He claimed to be uh, the Son of God. He claimed to be the truth, the way, the life. He claimed to be the only access we have to God himself, to the Father. He claimed to be a person that would not only heal sickness and disease, but actually the inner turmoil of our sin, and eventually would give us the opportunity to choose forever life or death, heaven or hell. And so that's a big deal, not only for me to decide, for you to decide, but for the people that you know to decide about. And so uh, we're wrestling with that, and we're continuing with that idea. And, and as I was actually hanging out this weekend, I had the privilege, yes, the privilege of going to Columbia, South Carolina. Not many people would put those two things together, but I do. Uh, I got to go to Columbia, South Carolina to hang out with my extended family. Another thing people necessarily wouldn't put together with privilege, but I got to hang out with my extended family in Columbia yesterday to celebrate a really, really important woman in our lives, my grandma. So I want to show you a picture of uh, some of my family. Actually, uh, there are 11 great-grandchildren missing from this photo, as well as some of their parents and some of their parents. And, uh, but those of us who were able to, uh, we made it to Columbia yesterday to celebrate this wonderful woman right there, Virginia Irvin. Uh, she was celebrating her 90th birthday and, uh, and she is funny, she is smart, uh, she is uh, an artist, an incredible artist who still paints. Um, she is just an amazing woman. The thing that stands out most to me about Grandma is that she is a woman of God. I talked to her yesterday and I thanked her. I said, thank you, Grandma, uh, for actually giving to our family, to myself, um, to my kids who are in there, to my wife, to everybody in this photo, a legacy, not just of a structure of faith, but a legacy of Jesus being lived out in our lives on a regular basis. I said, you've shown us grace, you've shown us hospitality, you've shown us that you don't judge anybody by what they look like or how they act, but you give them a place in your life. And so I got to thank her for that. And her response was, I'm just doing my best. God's still working on me. I thought, my goodness, you're 90 years old. Aren't you done yet? Like, that's a big deal. Like, how long is it going to take me? Oh, my goodness. And, uh, but we got to be together, and it just struck me as we were hanging out. Everything we're talking about in this War Effort series is being embodied in this woman's life who's passing it on now to her great-grandchildren. And uh, we're not perfect. There's a bunch of messed up, broken stories in this picture. And yet Jesus is the glue that holds all of this stuff together. And uh, my my 90-year-old grandma is still testifying to that on her birthday. And so I wanted to share that with you because that kind of rocked my world yesterday to actually see the living and breathing proof of this series that we're talking about. And and so thanks for letting me humor that in my my family a little bit. Um, They are amazing, and so it was a great time to be with them. And, and really, the, the big deal for our family, and the reason why I'm so excited about this, is that this family, by and large, shares a commitment to the question we asked ourselves, and that is, what would it look like to be in one specific cause together, united? And so we put it this way. We said, our cause is that anyone, at any time, can find themselves in a room with Jesus. And we say it that way, specifically talking about this room, not that this is the only place where we can, they can encounter Jesus, but that we're building towards Easter, and we believe they will, if they arrive here, Your friends, your family, your neighbors, they will encounter Jesus just like I hope you do today. And so we've asked ourselves, what are we willing to do to make that happen? What are we willing to sacrifice to make that happen? And so last week, Pastor Tom shared with us something we've encountered. If if we go out to actually begin to do something like this, 
to step out into something kind of challenging and maybe something riddled with fear for us to share our faith or to talk about Jesus with people that maybe don't agree with us or, or maybe don't acknowledge Christ, we, we're going to face some challenge. And so he, he shared with us, God has actually given us markers all throughout time to do exactly what we sang about, to help us to look back and see his faithfulness, to see, yes, he's calling into, us into new territory, but he's calling us based on his track record, not ours. And he's calling us into a future that may be challenging, it may be fearful, it may be difficult, but he's going to be there with us, and that's really important for us to understand. And so we talked about some of those markers that God has given uh, his people throughout time. And, And as I started thinking more about the life of Jesus and some of the markers we still celebrate from his life, I found a picture that might help you. It's helped me quite a bit as I think about this. And this is actually a picture you may have seen on a bumper sticker, you may have seen it on a, on a bracelet, um, but this sticker actually helps, or this picture actually helps us understand some of the marks of Jesus' life. And this is actually just a summary of our faith based on the life of Jesus. So Jesus came, he died on the cross. Some people think that's a rainbow. It's not. He actually, uh, he was placed in a tomb. And then he ascended again to the right hand of the Father, and he's coming back for us. And so these are some of the basic markers that we still celebrate today from the life of Jesus. But there's something I think about with Jesus that's kind of weird. It's that as Jesus was actually living into these things that would become markers on our life, he was actually celebrating the markers that came before. So he would have celebrated Passover. He would have gotten together and had this festival with his family and his friends. He would have gone to the temple to make sacrifices. He would have experienced so many markers of God's faithfulness in the past even as he was becoming those markers. Actually, one of the things that Jesus did was he was baptized, a marker we still celebrate in our church. And Jesus was baptized by his cousin in the river, and it was one of those crazy moments in the Bible. It talks about God the Father spoke from the cloud and said, this is my son, I love him. Before he did anything for the kingdom, he already loved him and appreciated, affirmed him. And the Holy Spirit shows up in the form of a dove resting on Jesus' Father, Son, Holy Spirit present all at once. And Paul, or, uh, G- John says, this is the Messiah. This is the promised one. This is the, the Lamb. And a bunch of people missed it, and they were confused. They didn't understand what was happening. But Jesus was starting his ministry, and it was kind of his public offering. This is, this is when he's going public with his ministry. And we still celebrate that. I remember I was baptized at the age of 10. And my dad, who's a pastor, missionary, he's done a lot of things. But he baptized me in a pool in South Florida. And I remember this really vividly because the community of my church was around me and they were celebrating with me. But I also remember this vividly because I'm still asking questions to my dad as he's about to baptize me. And he's trying to answer them very quickly. And he says, son, there's a thunderstorm. There's lightning above us. Didn't say this, but in my mind, I I remember hearing this, feeling this. If we don't do this soon, you're going to meet Jesus today, right? (laughs) So when you come out symbolizing your freedom from death, you might just go see Jesus because this is thundering, it's lightning, it's crazy. It's a a South Florida thunderstorm. But I remember that moment as a marker on my life. Was I perfect after that? No. No, but it was my my declaration in front of other people that I was going to follow Jesus with my life. This is what I'm about. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking, I've never done that, and I'm, I think this might be time. If, if you think it might be time, you can take part in this kind of marker in your life. We're actually going to be baptizing April 29th, and we're going to be out there in the fountain out front, and, and one, one of my favorite moments all year. A couple times a year, I get to see this happen. People come out of the water, and they come out of the water making a public statement about their faith, and we declare that Jesus has is, is, is done something in their life, and then 300 people celebrate and just clap for him and say, man, I'm so proud of you. I remember those moments on behalf of those people. And I think back to my baptism when that happens. It's a precious, precious experience. And so Jesus was actually baptized. And, and really, this is just a, a moment for, for us to, to participate with Jesus. We've done what he did. That's pretty cool. 
Later in Jesus' life and his ministry, uh, he's preaching and he's performing miracles and he's causing a stir. And there's a lot of people kind of focusing their attention on Jesus. And, and he's gathering with his disciples in this upper room. And they're about to celebrate Passover, one of these markers of our faith. And he gets them together and he changes it up a little bit. Rather than the full Passover meal, he actually simplifies it. And he takes bread and he takes wine. And speaking cryptically, and I think maybe in a way that would cause some fear for his disciples, he said, this is my body. And it's broken for you, and this is my blood, a symbol of the new covenant with you. Anytime you take this, remember me. And that's a weird thing to say at dinner, right? That would have freaked some people out. This is my body, this is the blood, drink and eat and remember me. That's, that's just weird. You don't make friends like that. You scare your family and friends when you say that. But Jesus said that, and I think a few days later it might have started making sense to him. To all those people in the room gathered, they're seeing Jesus do this, and, and they're saying, man, now he's... He's living out this incredible, scary moment, and they're thinking, body and blood, body and blood. Okay, all right, connecting some dots here. And this is where communion started for us. And so we celebrated that last week at this open table where everybody has a seat, and everybody's welcome to say, as we do this, remember the body and the blood broken and sacrificed for you. And so Jesus came, and we celebrate that at Christmas, and then he goes to the cross, and and we know this as a thing that hangs on our necklace, and it's on our shelves, and it's a symbol of the church, and it's on top of steeples, but the people following Jesus in that day didn't see the cross that way. The cross to them was a symbol of power, but not their power. It was a symbol of empire, and it was a symbol of death, and it was a symbol of shame and a symbol of guilt, and the cross broke you down physically, and it broke you down emotionally, and it was actually capital punishment, and it was designed so that people would never actually do what would get them there. It would be a deterrent. And next, Jesus found himself in the grave. And and he didn't have a plan for his life to end this way, but God did. And so he didn't have a grave already. It was actually a borrowed tomb. And really, there's only three days that take place between this and this. But man, there are a big three days. A lot goes on there. A lot goes on in those three days. And then we celebrated Easter that Jesus walks out of the grave. And 40 days later... After seeing over 500 people and interacting with 500 people who would go on record and say, yes, I witnessed that, I saw that. And after Jesus talks to people and he restores Peter and he talks to some of his disciples and strangely enough, he cooks a fish breakfast, which I still don't understand. He actually gathers the disciples up and gives them our marching orders for this war effort that we're all a part of. It's the reason actually that you are sitting here this morning in central South Carolina worshiping a risen Savior is that people took seriously the marching orders he gave. And I just want to review that for us because this is what we're all about. And this is found recorded by Matthew as he wrote down the story as an eyewitness. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, and we said that means as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. After saying this, Jesus actually ascends to the right hand of the Father, another one of those moments that's just powerful in Scripture. And this is where it starts to get strange for us, because the disciples, they lived through all of this as it was happening, and they had to decide, what do I feel about this? What do I believe about this? What does this mean for me that Jesus came, and he died, and he was in the tomb, and he rose again, and and then... He promises to come back, and this is where we live, right there. And it's weird waiting on history to happen, right? 
And there's this tension where we're saying, man, that's great. I need to know what I believe about all of this as I read it in history. But this is something I can't know what to do with yet. He's coming back. Now, some of us grew up in, in places and homes and churches where him coming back was a pretty scary thing. And it kind of felt like Santa coming. You had to figure out if you were good or bad and if he was going to have a good present for you or not. And I remember as a young kid, I was told pretty clearly that when Jesus came back for the people that would go to heaven with him, they would disappear uh, and their clothes would be left, which I thought was funny. And I always wondered about the gap between the clothes and the robe they were supposed to put on and what happened there. I don't know the answer to that. It still weirds me out. But I remember walking in and I would see my mom's clothes laid out for the day. In my mind, it wasn't that she was going on a trip or that she was taking a shower and she was going to get dressed. It was that she was gone and I was still here. I thought, oh no, I missed it. And then I, I tried to figure out, what did I do this week? And, and there was too much. So I was like, yeah, any one of those could have been it. And, uh, and honestly, sometimes today, even though that's, that's not what I think about, sometimes today I'll still come to a live and I'll try to find a few of you guys. Because if you guys are still here, I might be good. You know what I mean? Because the first people to go, are, in my mind, are going to be the best ones, right? And so if you're still around, I might have a chance still. You know, there are a lot of people walking around that they look at this not as a promise, but as a threat. And they're walking around not with this hope and this, this anticipation and excitement that Jesus is going to come back and he is who he says he is and he's done all of the things he said he was going to do and this last one is good for me. Some people are walking around terrified of that day because they know what we believe and that is that they have to come to terms with what they've decided about Jesus and how they've lived. That's not an easy place for some people. Some of us today, this morning, are still feeling a little bit of that anxiety. It's hard waiting on history to happen in front of us. There was a small band of people who were following Jesus, and they had to figure out what to do with all of this. They were growing up hearing rumors about a child that was born special, and as this child was, was growing up, was showing wisdom beyond his age, and as this child became a man and started teaching and started actively ministering, there were people that were, were talking about the check boxes that the prophecies had written about being checked off one by one. And then a few of them actually had the privilege of being handpicked by this man as he walked around and said, come follow me. And then there were people, uh, as they walked after Jesus, they would witness and he would heal them. And it would be miraculous. No one could argue with it. Even the priests would start to ask questions about how this happened because they couldn't deny it took place. They just didn't know what was going on. And there were people present when Jesus took a crowd and he taught them so powerfully they didn't want to leave for lunch even though they were hungry. So he performed a miracle and bread fed all of them. And then these same people, this small crowd followed them as that crowd disappeared when Jesus said really, really hard things. And the crowd got smaller as the miracles changed locations. And this crowd of people watched as this Jesus, and I wonder if they just cheered on the side or maybe loudly as Jesus completely confounded the experts of his day. And there were people that would come and they would try to argue and they would try to put weight and pressure on Jesus to say what they wanted him to say and he wouldn't say it. And I wonder if the disciples were like, yes, that's my guy. And then Jesus started talking more and more about this coming kingdom and they thought, man, I get to be a part of that. That's exciting. And it would crescendo in this moment where Jesus actually enters the capital city at a momentous occasion at a time where things were already ramping up. They were celebrating this marker of their faith, and he would be entering the capital city to a king's welcome. And I wonder if his followers just kind of, yeah, I'm a part of this guy. He's with me. I'm with him. We're all together. And as they watched and as they saw this history taking place right in front of their eyes, their teacher, their leader, their friend, 
And he starts to change the tone a little bit, and he starts to talk about going away. And as he starts to talk about his body and his blood, I think it was a little bit confusing. And as he's welcomed into the city not long after, he's put on trial. And he's put on a couple trials with a couple different governing bodies, and and they're all a sham. Everybody knows it. And the, the same people that may have been on the hillside eating bread at the hand of Jesus one day, the next day are spitting on him and mocking him and joining an uproar and a riot. And he would be hit, and he would be cursed, and he would be whipped, and he would be beaten. He would be led to a hill that everybody knew was a place of shame and, and pain. And he would actually be taken up and put on the cross, and it would be planted in the ground, and he would die. And placed in a borrowed grave, there would be this short period where the movement of God felt like it was dead. The movement maker himself, with all the promise and all the checked boxes and all the miracles and all the undeniable hope that had been given, would be buried. And I, I just, I can't even imagine what his disciples were thinking as they're trying to come to terms with how all of this happened. Giving up everything they'd given up and seeing everything they'd seen, the exploits in life of Jesus, and now they were, by scriptural accounts, they were mostly scattered and a few of them were huddled together and they were afraid and they're existing in that weird weekend between the cross and the grave. In this season, as the writers are describing what happened, as they look back and they're, they're saying, this is how it took place, and, and the gospel writers are all kind of giving their take on it, there's one name that comes up over and over again. And actually, uh, of the people who were following Jesus, this person's name is mentioned as much or more than most of the other disciples. And this person is mentioned at some pivotal, pivotal places, and this is someone that actually now our modern culture is talking about quite a bit, and there's not a lot that we really can know for sure about her other than what the Bible tells us. But this woman is Mary Magdalene. And we know a few things about her during this this short weekend. One, we know she was at the cross. She witnessed firsthand what happened to Jesus. John, the disciple, actually says that standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother, Jesus' mother, his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, the three Marys talked about in Scripture a lot. So Mary was there, and she saw this. Mary was also present when Jesus was buried, Matthew tells us that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite of the tomb. And then Mary actually found herself participating in the burial process of Jesus. And one writer tells us actually that when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, the mother of Mary, I'm sorry, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so they might go anoint him. They're there to finish the burial process. And John tells us a little bit more about how this worked. Early on the first day of the week, While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So Mary was going to the tomb to finish the burial process because she had to stop on the Sabbath day because they couldn't do that kind of thing during that day. And John tells us specifically while it was still dark because it seems to be that he's trying to tell us as soon as Mary could, she did. She showed up to finish this burial process of Jesus. She's intimately involved in one of the most gut-wrenching experiences probably of her entire life. Seeing her friend and her savior and and this king die on the cross and then being a part of his burial, knowing what this meant for her future. She's there the morning, and and to top it all off, after the worst of the worst, she finds that the body's gone. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. Scripture gives us this understanding that after she goes and finds the disciples, tells them this news, they run back to the tomb, they see that he's gone, and basically the response is, 
They don't know what to do. They've been through everything Mary's been through. They have no answers for her. The body's gone. This could mean so many different things. None of them were good. And they're afraid of what might happen to them. And so they go back, and it says they actually just go back to their homes. What are we supposed to do? Mary, she didn't do that. John tells us what happened. It says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. I don't understand this. There's a lot I don't understand about this passage. I don't know why Mary's still there. I definitely don't know why Mary went back and looked in the tomb again. Maybe she thought she didn't see correctly. You know, it's just one of those weird moments in life where you're like, maybe I just forgot that he was supposed to be in there. Maybe I pretended. I, I don't know. Let's look again. She looks in again, and it gets even weirder. I promise you, it gets even weirder than a missing body. She bent over and looked in the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the foot. This is where you start to ask some questions about what happened this weekend for her, right? Because Mary is looking into the tomb for whatever reason, seeing two angels there instead of Jesus' body. Mary seems completely weirded out, but also at some point, for some reason, okay with it because they speak to her and they ask her, woman, why are you crying? At this point, angels are talking to you in a tomb. You're in a graveyard. The body's not there. What do you do? Nothing to lose. You talk back, right? At this point in time, you're in so deep, it doesn't matter. They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, of course, she said, Sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. For some reason, this triggered something in her. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. That's a very affectionate term for who this person is. Jesus said, don't hold on to me. I don't know what that means, honestly. But don't hold on to me, for I have not ascended to the Father. Go instead and tell my brother, or to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Now there's a, there's a ton that we could talk about with this whole story. So many details just took place in such a short period of time. But one of the questions I started asking as I looked at this verse more and more and more at this whole passage is why Mary? Like, what made Mary so special that she would be the first human being on the face of the planet to witness this event that's so miraculous that it turned the universe upside down, that it defied all the laws we know of as true in our human existence, that are, again, the reason why we're here this morning 2,000 plus years later, why did she get to experience this? And not only that, why was she the first human being that was actually told to go say to other people, come and see? Furthermore, why was she the person that got to see Jesus alive for the first time, got to go tell people about it, and when she went to tell people about it, the first people she's supposed to tell are the ones that are supposed to be there instead. They were the 11 disciples that were handpicked to come and follow and give testimony. And Mary was there. And so I started thinking, what are the credentials that Mary Magdalene has What is the theological training? What is her pedagogy? What is her uh, experience in life? What is her unique spiritual gift that she has? What is her experience in the church? How long has she been a part of this whole process? Why does she get to be that person? 
Of the details of Mary's life and her introduction, we find very few things. And I just want to share with you what the Bible tells us about Mary. Luke, who is Jesus' friend, who was a physician, he actually writes the book after his name, Luke. He actually introduces Mary this way. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Quite the introduction. (laughs) Welcome. This is my friend Mary. She had seven demons. This is John. Mark says this, now after he rose early in the first day of the week, he appeared to first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. Mark, why would you say it that way? Maybe she was good at stuff. Maybe she had a great personality. Maybe she had skills. I don't know. Maybe she took a spiritual gifts personality test. I don't know. All we know is that for some reason she's being introduced as the person that had seven demons and and now gets to tell everybody about Jesus. And that sounds very strange to me. Now, there's a lot of debate about what these seven demons are. Some people say straight, like, it's just seven demons were living inside of her. Some people say that these seven demons actually may have been more of like an affliction or a malady, that these, they use these words to describe. Some people believe it could have been a psychological, emotional prescription, description. No, nobody really knows, but whatever it is, I don't want it, Right? Whatever she had being described as seven demons sounds worse than even the flu that's gone through this area recently, right? This is something I don't want to catch. And Mary, as she's walking along, is described as someone who had seven demons, and then she didn't. And the difference was Jesus. The Bible actually doesn't make it a big, momentous occasion. It's like in the the highlight reel of Jesus, there are these things that just kind of happened, and everybody saw it. Mary was a part of it. She had seven demons, then she didn't, and then she followed Jesus. Mary was burdened by seven demons. She meets Jesus, then she becomes a disciple. And we've been talking about this word a lot because we don't use the word disciple a lot in everyday language. So we have a description for it, kind of a definition. A disciple is pretty simple. It's a person who chooses to learn from Jesus, to live for Jesus because of a heart change by Jesus. And this was Mary's story. Mary's life and her heart was changed by Jesus in an encounter with him that would change her life forever. She started following Jesus as he taught and as he performed miracles and as he led. And she begins to live like Jesus, not just because of what he's done for her, not just because of who he claimed to be. But now, after this morning, after seeing for for herself who Jesus really is, she's now a disciple that knows that Jesus is everything he claimed to be and has done everything he said he was going to do. And that's Mary. And her credentials in the Bible, again, they're pretty light. She's not perfect, obviously. I don't know if she was a theology buff or had the gift of evangelism or had been around for a long time, but Jesus did something miraculous. And some of us have this kind of marker in our lives. Some of us can look back to a dramatic encounter. I was here. This was who I was. This is how I was living. This is what I was feeling. This was my version of the seven demons. And then I met Jesus, and after that I was different. Some of us, maybe it's not quite so dramatic. Maybe it was more of a season. You started to encounter Christ in a unique, specific way, and eventually, after a while, he freed you from something. Some of us, we feel like we're right next to that that event, and we hope it happens soon because we're buried under pressure. We're buried under the weight of sin and guilt and shame and regret. Maybe we're buried under addiction. Maybe we're buried under fear or anxiety. I believe there might be some people here this morning that are sitting here and we didn't even know an encounter like this could happen and we actually have a hard time believing it could still take place. 
Because if we could sit here and pass a mic around and talk about all the demons in our lives and all the seven, eight, 150, whatever they are, and all the years wasted, all the frustration, all the pain, all the ache, all the agony, there's no way that could still happen for me, is there? And even as we think about our own lives, and as we reflect maybe on his faithfulness or we hope it's still around, we also know that there's over 4,000 names we've identified of friends and family members and coworkers and neighbors And when we look at their life, we see more of pre-Jesus Mary than we do of post-Jesus Mary. And we're praying and we're trusting that God would give us opportunities and that we would be faithful and courageous to say to those people, listen, I don't have it all together. I might even be a hypocrite. I can't explain all of how this works. I can't prove to you that it's happening. All I know is that this is who I was. And I had an encounter with Jesus. And since then, my life has not been perfect, but it has been much, much better. There's some good stuff happening. I wish you would just come and see. I wish you would come and see. And the reason I'm bringing Mary before you is the same reason I think the disciples talked about Mary the way they did. I don't think they were being mean. I think they were trying to show us something really, really unique about Jesus. And that is that the person he most trusted to carry this most important message was somebody that had been a certain way and was not, and it was only because of him. What was Mary going to go brag about? What was Mary going to go flash as a badge? What was Mary going to leverage to make everybody want to trust her or believe her? The only thing she had to say for herself really was, hey, you guys knew me, you saw me, you knew the reputation, I had seven demons, now I don't. That's how I'm going to be remembered forever. Jesus did this. And that's who I was, that's who I am now, and that's where Jesus was, and then he was gone, and now he's here. That's all I've got to tell you. I'm going to keep it pretty simple. Jesus was dead, now he's alive. Come see. Come see. And this morning, that's our challenge, right? And I I just want to ask some questions. Maybe you've been around the church for a long, long time, and this story is is pretty well worn, and you know what happens next, and you know all about the the calendar at this time of year, and you know about Holy Week, and you know about all the celebrations, you know about Easter, and if you're honest this morning, you can even look back and you can see a moment where this kind of thing happened, but it's feeling a little bit old. And I wonder, what would you do? Maybe even what would you not do to feel that spark that Mary felt that morning? To feel that energy that Mary had as she ran to go tell what she had seen. To feel the warmth in your heart when you hear that name called by that voice you so understand and familiar to you. I wonder, and I don't know if this is true for you, but I wonder if that's you. If there is some sort of connection between the spark and the energy and the hope you want to feel and that person whose name is on your card. And the challenge of the new territory of saying, yes, I will boldly say to them, come and see if you're here today and you say, I have no idea what any of, that, any of that means. I don't even know. I know that Mary sounds cool. Her life sounds really hard. I can identify with that part. I wonder what it feels like maybe for you sitting here to think, man, I've tried a lot of things, maybe everything. And I can feel where this is headed and I know where this is going and I know the consequences down the line of the things I'm doing and the, feel, uh, and the feeling I'm under and the weight I'm under and the things that I would describe as my seven demons and I don't want to end up there. And I just want to ask you, what would you be willing to do if your story could end up like Mary's where this was me and I met Jesus and I don't have any of that stuff in my life anymore? I'm free. 
I'm out from under the weight of it. I don't have to experience it. It's gone. Because I believe this morning that the reason you're in this room is because your story and Mary's story can be exactly the same. That your encounter with Jesus can result in that kind of freedom. And so I want to remind you, this is something we've been wrestling with this whole time. For Alive, we know that just in Pickens County alone, there are 96,000 people that would say of their own life that they don't know Jesus like Mary knew Jesus. And if they do have some relationship with Jesus, they don't have a place like this to call their church home. They don't encounter this kind of encouragement and this kind of family. And that's not even counting the the other counties that we would touch through our our body. 4,000 of their names have been put on cards. And I just want to remind you what I've been wrestling with recently. And this is the truth we have. You and I have been uniquely, strategically, and specifically positioned by God to have a certain level of gospel influence in that person's life. And our opportunity and our commission from Jesus, our commander and our savior, is not to explain everything we've possibly ever thought about. It's not to convince or prove anybody of what is true. It's not necessarily to have them come here and hope that they like the worship. Your opportunity, whether it's this room or any other room you find yourself in, is to say to them, listen, I see what you're going through. I see how your life is going. I've been there. I found something good. I want you to come and see. And so our prayer is that God would give us the faithful boldness, the courage to actually say that. And so I actually want to pray right now and just ask you to pray with me for those people. So would you pray? Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you so much for the story preserved for us to talk about so many years later of your encounter with Mary. God, I thank you that You don't entrust perfect people with stuff like that. I I thank you that we don't have to earn our way to experiencing you. God, as I, I talked this morning about Mary with seven demons, those things, man, they have names for some of us. They have memories for some of us. Those are pressures and fears and anxieties and things we feel ashamed of. And God, I just ask if there's people in here this morning who want to be free from that, that they would have the courage to say, God, I want that. Jesus, would you take that stuff? Would you free me from that? Would you heal me from that? Would you make that my history and not my present or my future? God, there are some of us who have experienced you and we're not sure where the next step is. And and God, we, we want so badly to have the energy and the hope and the excitement that Mary felt that morning, but it's been a while. God, I ask that you would connect the dots for us and maybe as an exercise of our faith and our, our courage in sharing you with people that we would maybe have the opportunity to have a fresh and a new spark from you. God, help us to give, the cur- give us the courage. God, we think right now of 4,000 plus people and even people whose names haven't found their way to the card yet. Those 96,000, and God, we are not able, we're not smart enough, we're not cool enough, we're, we're not powerful enough to make anything unique happen, but you know that all it takes is a few words sometimes. God, thanks for trusting us with those people. And we trust them back to you and we ask that you would give us the understanding and the boldness and the encouragement to step out in faith and say, come and see. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.